Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turna. Once you use a Turna Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I offer my picks for each and every day of the 2022 Wimbledon. Won't lie, day four, our toughest round to date. We got one in three down 1.15 units overall on the day. I just misread a couple of matches on the board, in particular Mackie McDonald. I thought he was the better player at this point of his career, but the veterans guile, the creativity, the variety, Richard Gasquet was able to throw at him too much for Mackey to overcome. Now, it was a tightly contested four-set match. I don't feel horrible about my reasoning. Mackey McDonald, the higher hold percentage, higher break percentage than Gasquet. Since August 2020, the results relatively similar across both the challenger and ATP level, but you just can't fake the institutional knowledge that comes with playing 10-plus Wimbledons, and that's the sort of comfort level Richard Gasquet has on this surface. He was able to summon a level of physicality. I underestimated clearly going into that match. Will not make that mistake moving forward. Good effort from Mackey. Ultimately, too good, though, from Richard Gasquet. I also completely misread Sarah Srivez Tormo, who I thought was just a better version of everything that Harmony Tan does. I figured they would both play a healthy amount of slices throughout the course of the match. I figured for a grass court match, physicality would still be at the forefront of the tennis we saw between Cerebas Tormo and Harmony Tan, but credit to Tan, who despite pulling out of doubles with an injury yesterday, looked more than fit 
in her straight set victory over Cerebez Tormo today. That was probably my biggest blunder of the tournament to date, not only to lose that matchup, it was the Cerebez Tormo game spread, but to see Cerebez Tormo lose in straight sets to Harmony Tan again, unforced error on my part. Credit to Harmony Tan. She was just too good today. And then, of course, our third loss on the day. I hate uh, this is a knife in the heart recapping these losses. Don't love it. We'll try to avoid it moving forward, but right direction on the Kvitova Anisimova parlay, just wrong values. Anisimova covering her three and a half game spread. Uh, excuse me, Kvitova covering her three and a half game spread. Anisimova earning a victory over Lauren Davis, but dropping the first set and failing to cover her three and a half game spread. Now that's glass half empty. Of course, the key to this game being able to shake off the tough days and be able to persevere, being able to look at the glass half full. You're able to do that if you look at our one victory on the day of uh, the reasoning, Jung Chin Wen. We said the young Chinese woman who has ascended so rapidly inside the WTA top 60. Her weapons are going to afford her success on this surface at some point throughout the course of her career. And yes, she was 0-2 on grass courts heading into this Wimbledon, but a second round matchup against Treat Minin. What can Minin do to hurt Jung Chin Wen? The answer to that question was nothing. Jung Chin Wen advancing comfortably, covering a two and a half game spread, salvaging what was otherwise a tough day. Again, one and three down 1.15 units overall on day four. Where does that leave us? Heading into the third round of singles play, we're nine, seven, and two up 0.15 units overall. And again, there were some matches on the board yesterday. I think I had directionally correct. Certainly Liam Brody plus 225 over Schwartzman. I didn't pick it as an ace of the day, but I pointed to it and ultimately uh, Brody able to cover. We had Tom Janovich looking to cover. She was able to do that. Did misread the Pliskova-Bolter match. I thought Pliskova would be able to flip that result, but why did I stay away from it? Because Katie Bolter had just beaten Pliskova a couple of weeks prior. Pliskova unfortunately falling short against Bolter as Bolter's able to earn the victory once again. Look, as this tournament progresses, it's only going to get tougher and tougher to find ourselves in the winner's circle. That said, we are now four days into this Wimbledon. We've gotten to see everyone play at least two singles matches. We'll keep that in mind as we look towards day five of this event. And of course, on today's Ace of the Day segment, what I want to do, as I always do, is offer you my picks for all of the day's action. Of course, via our friends at DraftKings, we'll look at the money lines. We'll check out the singles forecast over at Tennis Abstract as well to see what the numbers say in terms of the head-to-head matchups we'll see on day five. We'll also go through the over-unders, the game spreads, the parlays, the futures, and so much more. Try to touch on every match. Again, we've got 16 singles matches. Round three, finally, when things start to slow down a bit, it's a bit more manageable. Feel like you can actually watch all of the action as it unfolds throughout the course of the day. I'll try to touch a bit on every everything here on today's show so that all of you listeners feel prepared for day five's action. Of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here on this Great Shot podcast feed is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And I am immensely grateful to those of you that have taken the time to go.
go on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it may be, and leave a review of this show. Leave that five-star rating as well. Not only does that help us with the computer gods, but it allows us and affords us offers us feedback of things we can continue to get better, things you listeners want to hear. Obviously, we here at Cracked Rackets know it's our job to serve you listeners, provide you with the information you are looking for, and all of the updates that come day in, day out across the pro tennis world, not just ATP, WTA, but of course, Challenger, Collegiate, ITF, you name it. We'll cover it here at Cracked Rackets because we know it's our job to keep you listeners the most well-informed, best educated in the business. We are immensely grateful you all continue to tune in. We're also so grateful, of course, for our friends at Turna for their support of this show. And you hear me say it every day. Everyone in the tennis world can identify a Turner grip. When you see that bluish, purplish grip on someone's racket, you say, oh, he plays with a Turner grip. And you can understand why. It's the tackiest, most effective grip in the business. But did you know about their award-winning strings? Did you know about the countless other appliances Turner provides to help accentuate the finer features of your game? You can learn more by emailing them at sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned we have Cracked Rackets sent you. They'll hook you up with discounted pricing, hook you up with free samples, treat you like family. Again, we are so grateful for the support we get from our friends at Turner. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Sales at uniquesports.com. Sales at uniquesports.com. With that said, let's get into it. Day five of Wimbledon. We'll start with the money lines on the women's side. Certainly, again, third round matchups, everything tightens across the board, whether it's the odds you're looking at, whether it's the percentages offered by our friends at Tennis Abstract. You look at tomorrow's matches via the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. They only project one lopsided match. That would be the match between number three seed On Jabour and unseeded Diane Perry. Now, of course, Perry, who has earned two impressive straight set victories on her way to a second consecutive third round, who knocked out Krejcikova at the French Open, knocked out Kanepi at this Wimbledon. Certainly for the 19-year-old former world junior number one, On Jabour is a completely different test. And there's a reason Jabour's a 91.7% favorite on the Tennis Abstract forecast, minus 1,600, according to our friends at DraftKings. I would also pick own Jabour, but A, minus 1,600, where are you going to get value in that? You're just not B. You look at the game spread in this matchup between Jabour and Perry. It's just too many games. Six and a half games for plus 105. Jabour's got to win better than 6-3, 6-3. With all due respect, the serve plus one tennis Diane Perry's able to play, she's going to have opportunities to attack, and she's the sort of athlete that's quick enough that she'll track down some of the own Jabour slices and make Jabour play pay for anything she leaves short when she's into her bag of tricks. I think that match is going to be close. I think Jabour wins probably a five and three, maybe even a five and two, but you know, five and two is six games and you can get her at minus five and a half for minus 170. I just don't think it's worth it tomorrow. So, you know, again, that match, a stay away from me as you look at the more lopsided matchups, certainly Maria Sakari minus 600 over Tatiana Maria, according to Tennis Abstract, Sakari is 70.4 percent favorite on the day. I think all of us can understand why. And 
Maybe you throw that in if you need a little bit more juice at the end of a parlay. That, my friends, is what I call a tease, as I may have just done that here with my Ace of the Day selections. But certainly Sakari playing a Maria who has won two three-set matches consecutively, including three sets over Kirstea to get here. Uh, there's a reason Sakari's the favorite. I'm leading her direction as well, just to play two three-set matches than to have to deal with the physicality of Sakari for a Maria who's played primarily on the ITF Pro Circuit this season. And no thanks, that one. A little bit tough for me. Ostapenko, minus 390 over Bagu. Bagu has been rock solid throughout this tournament. It doesn't have the best crash court resume, but, you know, Yelena Ostapenko, it's been about seven matches consecutively, and we haven't seen a stinker. That's the argument for Bagu is if the stinker comes, you know, Bagu is 2-0 in her career against Ostapenko. If she can just survive long enough, absorb the first strike, she can stick around. But Ostapenko on this surface, if she continues to serve this well, swing this freely, the weapons are just too much. So I would lean Ostapenko minus 390. That's smack dab in the parlay zone. Caroline Garcia Jung Shui is tough because you look at the tennis abstract forecast. Caroline Garcia justifiably a 55.5% favorite. She's won seven consecutive matches, won the title last week in the buildup to this tournament. But you know, Jung Shui made a final a couple of weeks ago, losing to Beatrice Haddad Maya before having to retire and has earned impressive straight set victories. A good win over Marta Kostyuk to get to the third round. Jung Shui has had success on the grass courts in her career. Again, seven consecutive matches for Garcia in about an 11-day span. She should be the favorite. She was excellent against Raducanu. She's minus 130. I would lean Garcia. I would place an individual money line wager on that match if I was more sure, but I'm just not sure looking at that one. And, you know, in terms of the unsure category, now we're into it because it starts with Garcia and Jung Shui. And, you know, again, Marie Buzkova has been an American killer. Three sets over Collins, straight sets over Ann Lee. Why can't she beat Nally Risk coming off of a three-set match? I think that one's a track meet. That's going to be fun. Serenko Niemeyer. You know, Niemeyer is the only player left in the women's draw yet to be broken. Serenko's just fought so well throughout this grass court season. I think she is a good enough mover to absorb the first strike of Niemeyer, get her stretch. That match has three sets all over it. Minus 130, Niemeyer's the favorite. I want no part of it. You know, Kaya Yuvon, minus 230 over Heather Watson. The match is on Yuvon's racket. Watson just has so much more experience on this surface. That's a stay away for me. You know, Kerber should beat Mertens. Mertens has been bad in her first two matches, both three set victories to extend her streak to 18 consecutive uh, third rounds at the major, but she hasn't done anything extraordinary. And if you can't do anything extraordinary, Angelique Kerber's just going to break you down. That said, Mertens is a tennis chameleon. She plays to the level of her opponent. I do think, again, if you don't have an overwhelming weapon, Mertens will just stick around. I think that match gets physical. And so, again, minus 310, Kerber's in the parlay zone. I don't know if I want any part of that heading out of today's matches. But, again, those are your eight money lines on the women's side. We have uh, three matches in the parlay zone, Sakari, Ostapenko, Kerber, and I guess Yuvon. So I guess four matches in the parlay zone. I'd stay away from Kerber, Yuvon, but Sakari, Ostapenko, we're going to find a way to work them into today's Ace of the Day selections. That I promise, folks. Let's go look now on the men's side, the money lines we see in play. Certainly a couple of 
of interesting ones. You start uh, with a guy like Cam Nori, minus 370 tomorrow over Steve Johnson. Nori got pushed to five cents against Munar. Johnson has only played five sets in the tournament so far. Uh, the beneficiary of Grigor Dimitrov withdraw due to injury and then a straight set win for him over Peniston in round two. I mean, again, certainly when you play Steve Johnson, you have to have patience. You have to understand he's going to slice that backhand back to you over and over again, and you can't pull the trigger too soon because you challenge that on the run forehand, you're just in trouble against Stevie. You leave something short, he's going to run that round that ball, snap off a forehand. His serve is just a problem on this surface, and of course he's as comfortable moving forward as anyone on the ATP Tour. That said... Nori is that sort of player who is disciplined enough. He is also a lefty to just go at, although Steve Johnson's sneaky amount of success against lefties. We'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, again, I think that match is in the parlay zone. Certainly Djokovic minus 6,000. I mean, you're not getting any value working that. And it's a lot of games between he and Kasmenovic. Sometimes Djokovic likes to play with his food. Just not worth it to me from a value perspective. But, just about everything else. Again, the Djokovic match, the Nori match may be the two exceptions. I want no part of anything else on the board. And certainly you have Novak Kubler, Sock Cressy all continuing tomorrow. But, you know, a match like Sinner Isner. Did you all just see how John Isner served against Andy Murray? He wrecked our parlay a couple days ago. And while Sinner minus 185 is the favorite, you look via our friends at Tennis Abstract. Yannick Sinner also favored there as he's uh, currently a... Oh, excuse me. Tennis Abstract has John Isner, a 67.3% favorite. And again, far more experienced on the surface. I just, I want no part of that match. I, I'm not betting against Isner on this surface as he's going to serve that well. Tiafo Bublik, minus 105, minus 110. That's a pick according to our friends at DraftKings. It's a 52.2% edge to Bublik, according to Tennis Abstract. Again, I don't feel definitively one way or the other. Tiafo's the better player. Bublik's the better server on this surface. Both of those things matter. Uh, certainly, these are matches that I think are going to be tightly contested, and we'll keep that in mind as we look at the over-unders. But, you know, looking at the rest of the board... Basilish Vili Van Reithoven. Van Reithoven, a minus 225 favorite. He hadn't won an ATP match before this month. He's now a minus 225 favorite in the third round of a major. That feels a little strong against Basilish Vili, but I just, again, big servers, plus one tennis. He just did it against Opelka. You lean Van Reithoven still. I don't want any part of that. I want no part of uh, Gofan Umber either. Umber played the perfect match tactically against Kasparud. It's not going to be as obvious against David Gofan, who can do a little bit of everything. That said, how healthy is David Gofan, who's the minus 155 favorite? And according to Tennis Abstract, 68.4% chance of winning tomorrow. He's also the guy most likely now to advance out of this section of the draw. I mean... Yeah, like they have him favored over Cam Nori with Rude and Hercots eliminated from this quarter. It's now David Goffin, according to the numbers, with his pedigree and track record on this surface. If he's healthy, 
the pathway to the semifinal is now open. He will certainly sense that opportunity. I want no part of that GoFan umbear match tomorrow because, again, if GoFan strikes fire, which it's very possible, maybe you back him. Maybe you take him plus 130 and you hope he wins the first set. Then you live bet the hell out of David GoFan. You kick your feet up. You enjoy the rest of the match. I think that's the play for the majority of these men's and women's matches tomorrow. That said, I will not be copping out. I do have ace of the day selections for all of you, although we're going to avoid the money lines here today. I did, as always, want to offer you a preview, though, or at least my preliminary thoughts on the 16 singles matches we have on the board. The matches I like the most involve some over-unders and some game spreads. Let's start with a game spread and let's turn to a player who has offered us a couple of victories already this week. That's Tommy Paul. You look for Tommy Paul this season, 25-year-old American, has struck fire over the past couple of weeks, made the quarterfinals in Queens Club where, you know, he beats Wawrinka, beats Shapovalov before getting knocked out by Berrettini in Eastbourne. He beats Sinner, Sarundalo before getting knocked out by Demonauer. Straight set wins for Tommy Paul over Fernando Vas- Verdasco and Adrian Manorino to reach the third round of Wimbledon. Paul has yet to drop a set you know, winning straight set matches against each of the two lefties that he faced. And for Tommy Paul, it's going to be another lefty for him in round number three as he takes on Yuri Veshali. Veshali, the beneficiary of that Hubi Hercots upset. He played the guy who beat Hercots, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, knocks him off 10-7 in a fifth set deciding set breaker in yesterday's action. It's a very similar case for Tommy Paul today, as I've made truthfully in these past two matches for him, whether it was against Manorino, whether it was against Feliciano Lopez for Tommy Paul. It starts uh, with the fact that he's had a pronounced amount of success in his career against lefties. You look for Tommy Paul overall, 40-14 and 14 in his career against lefties. You look for him at just the ATP level, Tommy Paul, 13-5, and five, including five consecutive wins against left-handed players. He also beat Yuri Veshley, albeit in three sets earlier this season in Adelaide. And look, I understand the argument against Tommy Paul here. He's never made week two of a Grand Slam. Yuri Veshali has not only made week two two times, both of those times have come at Wimbledon. And you look for Veshali, who's competing in his seventh third round at a Grand Slam in his career. Five of those seven third rounds have come at Wimbledon. This is the slam. This is the surface where the big lefties game is not only uh, – is not only most effective, but it's the game, the place where his game has thrived the most throughout the course of his career. And yes, it was a five-set win for Vesely over Davidovich Fokina. It wasn't the most physical match. A lot of plus-one, uh, you know, winners. A lot of big swings on the return of serve. Short points, probably fewer than twenty, went over ten shots. That said, it, it was a five-set match. It was certainly physically taxing. And, you know, again, not only has Tommy Paul had a pronounced amount of success against lefties in his career, not only has he faced two lefties throughout the course of this tournament, he's seen the Vesely serve before. And I think if there are any shakiness, any weakness in the Yuri Vesely legs, Tommy Paul's going to pounce. 
Tommy has just been on another level physically over these past three weeks. And, you know, again, you look at the numbers for Tommy this season. He's holding 78.7% of the time, which would be outside the top 25, is outside the top 25, excuse me, of top 50 players where Tommy Paul now resides at a career high ranking of number 32. And, you know, again, 78.7%. It's 1% above his career average. He's working closer to the average of the top 25 players. He's also breaking serve 22.3%. That's right along with his career average. That's about a top 25 number. You know, again, the floor for Tommy Paul, match in, match out, when he's locked in mentally the way he has been, it's just extraordinarily high. There aren't Really, there is no definitive weakness for Tommy. Yeah, you'd rather serve to the forehand than the backhand, but that's because he's so exceptional in turning into that backhand return. He is one of those special, elite, well-rounded athletes who has the requisite size and strength and quick twitch fibers to just be able to do a little bit of everything on court. And 25 years old, again, smack dab in the middle of his athletic prime. Things have clearly clicked for Tommy really since the start of 2020. You look for Tommy overall uh, during this stretch of time, 63 and 48 since August 2020. He's 53 and 47 at the ATP level. You look for him at the slams has, you know, reached now his, uh, excuse me, first third round since 2020, but he's been in the mix. You look at who the losses for him are too. He's lost, you know, twice to Casper Ruud in second rounds at slams. Both of those matches going four and five sets respectively. He goes four sets with Medvedev at Roland Garros last year, four sets with Green uh, at Roland Garros this year. Tommy seated at a slam for the second time in his career. And unlike at the French Open where he was dealt Christian Green this time, you know, he's made the most of that seeding, made the most of the chaos that's happened in his section of the draw. And again, for Tommy, at the start of this tournament, he was looking at, you know, this round facing a Hubi Hercots, the defending semifinalist. Instead, he gets a guy in Yuri Vesely who he's beaten before, who is ranked lower than him. I know Tommy's never made a fourth round before, but this is the perfect opportunity where, playing plus one tennis and, you know, effective, being efficient and effective with the return of serve, just being locked in, dipping that return at the feet of Vesely, using your quickness to track down that first volley and making the most of that second passing shot opportunity. The game plan is very clear in knocking off a Yuri Vesely. And I really think Tommy can just go look at the Davidovich Fokina film and say, if I can just be a bit more solid than Davidovich Fokina down the home stretch. And I think there are a lot of similarities between Davidovich Fokina and Tommy Paul in terms of their athleticism, in terms of how they go about attacking the match, in terms of their comfort levels moving forward. Neither maybe you think of as an elite server, but both have more pop on that first serve and everything they do than you think. I mean, Davidovich Fokina laid the blueprint for the Tom, uh, for this game plan, and Tommy Paul has just been executing that blueprint better than Davidovich Fokina on grass courts throughout the course of this season. I think Tommy's going to win And I think he's going to win comfortably. Now, you can take the Tommy Paul money line at minus 190, which is not extraordinarily high. There's some value in taking that straight up. But not only do I think Tommy's going to win, I think he's going to win in straight sets. And if he wins in straight sets, even if it's 6-6-6, he's going to cover a two-and-a-half game spread. Now, there's a world where Vesely takes a set 7-6, and there's a world where Tommy's going to have to work a little bit more for this match. But... Minus two and a half games, he just has to win. 
And minus two and a half games at minus 120, in my opinion, is good enough value to offset a minus 190 money line where all he has to do is win. Because I just don't see a scenario where Vesely blows Tommy Paul out in any individual set. So give me Tommy not only to win, but to win comfortably. As such, to only have to cover a two and a half game spread in a best of five match. I'll take it. Minus 120 value as well. We're going full units as promised today on these bets. It's time to amp things up here on our GSP Ace of the Day segment. So give me Tommy Paul over Yuri Veshley. Minus 120, one full unit to win 0.83. In terms of the other game spreads I like on the day, I think Maria Sakari is going to beat Tatiana Maria comfortably. But at minus four and a half games, she has to win 6-4, 6-3 or better. And, you know, it's only minus 180. Odds. So just a little bit too much for me. Ostapanko minus three and a half games over Bagu minus 175 is interesting, but we already have Ostapanko in something else. I think she's going to win in straight sets. I think it's going to be comfortable. I just found value in her otherwise. Kerber minus three and a half games over Mertens if you're so daring. And then if you're truly daring, Diane Perry plus six and a half games to cover and keep things close against Own Jabour appealing to me. I would also say, you know, again, Nori minus five and a half games over Johnson, four, four and four, or even four, four and six gets the job done. Uh, that at minus 110 is intriguing, although I do just think Stevie such a good fighter. I think he's going to get at least a set, so game spread scares me there. You know, if you think Yannick Sinner is going to win, I would take his game spread minus one and a half games, minus 130, as opposed to his money line, which I believe is also, as I mentioned earlier, minus 180. Again, I'm going to stick with just the Tommy Paul game spread, but as we've alluded to, this third round, things are going to get competitive, right? It's seed versus seed. You've got a bunch of top 40 players in the world facing one another head-to-head. As such, I think we see a bunch of matches go the distance, whether it be on the women's side, a Garcia versus Jung Shui, a Buzkova versus Risk, both of those plus 135 to go over two and a half sets. I don't hate that at all. A Serenko Niemeyer, a Yuvon Watson, I think all of these matches are interesting on the women's side and could be extended the distance. You bet on four of them and you go two and two. You're going to put money in your pocket with the plus odds that you're getting. So if you're feeling confident, go for it. On the men's side, you can't get over in sets. Otherwise, I'd have a bunch of over three and a half sets. But if you think Sinner Isner is going to go four, if you think John's going to serve his way to a set, but Yannick wins out, take the over 41 and a half games at minus 125. That's probably my biggest regret that I'm leaving on the board today. Tiafo Bublik over 40 and a half games, minus 125. Umberto Fenn over 30 eight and a half games, minus 125. Timmy TVR, Van Reithoven, and Basilashvili, minus 125 at over 30 and a half, eight and a half games. Both are interesting because I think all four of those matches go at least four sets, but the match with the best odds, the most intrigue, and honestly, the one you're going to enjoy watching the most if you bet on is Oscar Ota versus Carlos Alcaraz. Now, I do think Oscar Ota, who again, plus 200-ish odds money line, he can absolutely straight up pull off the upset against Carlos Alcaraz tomorrow. Oscar Ota has been exceptional 
over the past 24 months on the ATP Tour. You look for Oscar Ota's 88 and 46. He's won 66% of his matches across the challenger and ATP level since the start of 2020. Now, you know, again, he's done the the normal human version of what Carlos Alcaraz has done on steroids over the course of the past 24 months, right? Alcaraz has shot through the challenger rankings, shot up the ATP rankings. Ota hasn't shot up. He's steadily progressed up those ATP rankings. And you look for Oscar Ota, who reached semifinals in both Stuttgart and Halle uh, earlier on the grass courts this year. He's 11-3. and three. On grass courts since the start of August 2020, you look for him at the ATP level overall during this stretch of time. Oscar Ota, 23-19. and 19. You look for him this year, made quarterfinal Belgrade, semifinal Munich. Again, the two semifinals in Stuttgart and Halle as well. There's a reason the soon-to-be 29-year-olds at a career high of number 36 in the rankings. And it starts in this with the serve for Oscar Ota. You look for the 28-year-old this season. Career high, 81.9% hold percentage. That's a top 20 number on the ATP Tour. He's also breaking 20.8% of the time, which is a career high for him on the ATP Tour and is outside the top 25, but it's in the ball game, particularly given with how well he competes on serve. And the key for me on Oscar Ota, he's played 10 grass court matches this season, two of them ending prematurely due to a withdrawal or an injury. In those 10 matches, though, and we'll say it's even eight matches, in the eight matches he's played from start to finish, he's been broken six total times on the grass courts. And Ota appears like you think he's 6'7, six, 6'8, six, he's like 6'4, six, 6'5, six, but, you know, has that wiry, thin body, almost like a Max Cressy. I think there's a lot of similarities between the two where he can fire off the first serve at will, but then he has the hands, the creativity to move forward, serve and volley. He's comfortable grinding a bit on the baseline and, you know, again, extending rallies, a great mover for someone his side, sneaky fluid in the outer thirds of the court. But of course, again, that serve on this surface is just elite. You look for Oscar Ota, I mentioned it, 11-3 since August 2020 on the grass courts. He's holding 89.4% of the time uh, on grass courts over, uh, excuse me, 91% of the time on grass courts since August 2020. That's Berrettini Isner levels. Again, when you're in that 90% club, you're talking elite of the elite. And while Carlos Alcaraz is number two in break percentage on the ATP Tour this season, 34.4%, he's hanging out with career highs of Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic as a 19-year-old kid on tour. Just ridiculous. Alcaraz is 13, uh, three and one in his career on grass courts. This is his fifth match in his career on this surface at the pro level. Now, certainly he's been tested in his first two matches. Got to look at power German tennis from Jan Leonard Struff in round number one. Got to look at the physicality, you know, elite physicality, in my opinion, in talent Greek sport in round number two. Now gets a little bit of the best of both worlds here in Oscar Ota. I'm not saying Ota is you know, going to serve his way to an upset victory. Now, he absolutely can, but I think that serve keeps him competitive throughout the course of this match. And 
again, I think Alcaraz will struggle, much like he did at the start of his match against Jan Leonard Struve, to get a read on the Oscar Oda serve and find any comfort level, find any rhythm in his game because of the different looks Ota will throw at him. Again, more than anything else, I just expect this match to be extraordinarily competitive because not only is Oscar Ota playing extraordinarily well, but he's playing with nothing to lose right now. And again, I think Alcaraz is going to advance, but I think we get more than three sets in this match. And if you think that's the case, take the over. 36 and a half games, even if it is, you know, 6-4, 6-4, the first three sets. Or even if it's, let's say, 6-3, 5-7, So in that case, 9 plus 8 is 17 plus 12. You're at 29 games through the first three sets. At that point, 36 and a half games, which we're hitting, it needs to be 6-3 or higher in the fourth set. And that's only if there is a lopsided 6-2 or further set in this match. And I just don't think that's going to be the case because when you have a server like Oscar Ota, he's just going to fumble his way. Fumble his way is the wrong word. He's just going to serve his way into a couple of holds in each game. Let's say he serves five times. He's good for at least three holds, right? Throughout the course of every set, I just don't think we see something more lopsided than 6-3. And as such, you know, again, I I think he's going to take a set in this match as well. Just Alcaraz is going to struggle with that Ota serve, and Ota either takes it in a breaker or gets a good look at a break of serve himself because, again, Oscar Ota, not your traditional big man when it comes to his skills at the baseline. Oscar Ota, I mentioned uh, the hold percentage, 91% on grass courts, 13.6% break percentage on the grass courts, but for Oscar Ota, 20.8% break percentage for him in tour matches since August 2020. Not exceptional, but better particularly when you're serving over and holding over 90% of the time on this surface. This match is going to be close, folks. Again, you have to be able to win free points. You have to be able to put pressure on Carlos Alcaraz if you want to hang with him. As we looked, Talon Griegspor was able to match the physicality of Alcaraz, but he wasn't able to hurt him in any way from the baseline. Oscar Ota can actually hurt Carlos Alcaraz. As such, I think this match stays close. I'm taking the over. Let's do it. First over of the tournament. Over 36 and a half games in Oscar Ota versus Carlos Alcaraz. I just think this match is going to be good. Minus 130 odds. We'll put a full unit on it to win 0.66 in return. That is ace of the day number two. With that in mind, got one left for you. It's a parlay for you all. I wanted to place a Novak Djokovic futures bet to win the title, but with Nadal losing another set on day four with Bautista Gut withdrawing from the tournament due to a positive COVID test and, you know, again, names continuing to drop out. Djokovic now up to minus 200 odds to win the title. It's just not worth it. You know, again, what am I going to put? Four units on it to win two. If he loses, my tournament is ruined. If he wins, the reward isn't even that great. I should do it, but I'm not going to. We'll leave that one on the table. I do, again, have a parlay for all of you. We'll go through this quickly. Maria Sakri, minus 600 over Tatiana Maria. You look for Sakri, who's 22-8 and eight at the Slams since August 2020, 76-38 overall is Sakri since the tour resumed in this pandemic play. You look for her against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Sakri 35-8 and eight since August 2020. She's winning 81% of her matches in the players who constitute as outside the top 50 losses for her. Mukova, Haddad Maya, Radakanu, Krachikova, Trevisan, 
all inside the top 50 now. So she's been exceptional against players who don't have elite weapons or can't match her elite physicality. And, you know, you look for her, she faces someone in Tatiana Maria, 34 years old, has certainly had a good run, 40 and 31 in her last 52 weeks. A lot of success for her at the 60K level, 100K level. But you look for Maria, three set wins over Sharma, Three set win over Kirstea just to get to this third round. It's a completely different beast when you're taking on Maria Sakari and you look for Tatiana Maria throughout the course of her career. 22 and 83 against top 50 opponents. She's also just 6 and 30 against the top 20 in her career. Hasn't beaten a top 20 opponent since Sloane Stevens back in March of 2019. Now, uh, you know, again, these two played at the Australian Open this year. It was a close match, certainly. Sakari, a 4-6 and six victory. But, you know, I again, I just... I don't see uh, what Tatiana Maria does to put the pressure on Sakari in this match. And Sakari looked excellent in her second round victory over Tomova. So give me Sakari to advance comfortably here on day number four. And again, I mentioned the money line, you know, the or excuse me, the game spread. Just a little too much juice there. I'm going to use Sakari as an anchor in a parlay here now. So we'll throw her minus 600 odds just to get things moving. We're then going to go to Yelena Ostapenko. Ostapenko 15 and four on grass courts since the start of 2021. Her losses, three sets to Martinsova, Tomjanovic, and Yastremska, a straight set loss to a lights out serving Petra Kvitova last week in Eastbourne. It's also about who she's beaten. Kasakina, Fernandez, Kontave, Rabakina, Jabour, Pavlachenkova, Georgie, Tom Janovich. She's not just not losing to bad opponents. She's beating good opponents as well. She served lights out on this surface of late. Straight set wins over Vic Meyer and Dodin to get to this point of the tournament. Now, again, it's been seven consecutive matches. She hasn't played a single dud. And the problem for Ostapenko throughout the course of her career is the first-round losses. And you look for Ostapenko, you know, again, even this season with the highs of the Middle East, lost, what, six consecutive matches, something crazy. After that run... That said, just again, what's Bagu going to do to make Ostapenko uncomfortable? What's Bagu going to do to hit her off her spot? It's certainly not the serve where Bagu for her career holds just 64.3% of the time. Ostapenko is going to have target practice as she has so frequently over the past few months on a few months, past few years on grass courts. And with how comfortably she's turning into the return right now, Ostapenko top five in break percentage on the WTA Tour. The 25-year-old's playing the best tennis of her career. Now, she was ranked as high as number five in the world, obviously, back in 2018. But I think Ostapenko's a better player now than she was then. And I just think she has found a rhythm on these grass courts. Now, of course, even saying that word out loud makes me tentative because Bagu is going to challenge her. But give me Ostapenko, minus 390. I think she'll win comfortably, but we'll just throw the money line in the mix. And then, again, if we just did Sakari Ostapenko, not a ton of value there. Let's throw Cam Nori into the mix as well. You look for Cam Nori, who, you know, overall uh, in his career, 13 and 8 in his career at the ATP level against players with one-handed backhands. But, you know, again, Murray, uh, Nori, excuse me, really since the start of last season, he's just beating 
everyone he's supposed to beat. You look for Cam Norrie during this stretch of time against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Cam Norrie since the start of 2021, 41-9 overall against top 50, uh, opponents ranked outside the top 50. His only loss this season against top 50 opponents, he's 14-1. His only loss this season came in the Eastbourne quarterfinals against obviously an obviously thriving Maxime Cressy. Nor is just a really tough out, and regardless of surface, as physical of a player as you're going to find in the ATP Tour, on the ATP Tour, excuse me, and, you know, again, I know he played five sets against Munar last round. I don't think that's going to phase him. I don't think that's going to matter. I, I think, you know, Nori will be more than comfortable. Uh, continuing to advance through this tournament. And while I do think the Steve Johnson serve plus one forehand may be the two biggest weapons in this match, Nori's physicality is a, is on that same tier as those two. And, you know, again, if you go Johnson serves the biggest weapon, Johnson's forehand's the second biggest weapon or most effective shot, the next seven things on the list belong to Cam Nori. And so I just think the totality of what Cam Nori does, how disciplined he will be. He's not going to get impatient with the Johnson backhand slice. I just think Norrie's going to be just fine in advancing in this match, and I, I do think he's going to knock off Johnson, who, to his credit, you know, has now, I believe, reached the second round or further at nine consecutive slams, and, you know, you look for Steve Johnson in his career, certainly more experience at the Grand Slam level uh, than a Cam Norrie, but you look for Steve Johnson has made now his 11th third round at a major in his career. He's only advanced to one uh, advanced past the third round once. That was Wimbledon back in 2016. Now you look for Johnson. It's his fourth time in the third round at Wimbledon. That's the most for him at any major that he's played. Certainly, again, his aggression, his athleticism, his willingness to move forward, it's, the slice even that he hits on that backhand wing, it is that much more effective on this surface. But I just think the lefty Norris, the right sort of opponent, uh, again, who's disciplined enough, physical enough to withstand the plus one tennis that Johnson's going to be able to play. So let's throw Nori's money line in the mix as well. And there's our parlay. Sakari, Ostapanko, Nori, all on the money lines. You throw them together, minus 116, one unit to win 0.86. That'll do it as ace number three on the day. To recap, our day five ace of the day selections. I'm taking Tommy Paul, minus two and a half games over Yuri Veshley, minus 120, one, uh, one unit to win 0.83. We'll take the over 36 and a half games in Ota Alcaraz, minus 130, one unit to win 0.66. And then a Sakari Ostapenko Nori Parlay, minus 116, one unit to win 0.86. That is our GSP Ace of the Day selections for day number five, of course. If you listeners are looking for recap content of all the action happening on the grounds at Wimbledon, we've got you covered over on our mini break podcast feed. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast or on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Turner. Remember, email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. With all of that said, three more Ace of the Day selections for all of you on day five. Let's stop our one game losing streak. Get back where we belong in the winner's circle. With all of that said, 
for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turnham from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Enjoy day five, everyone. Thank you.